Greetings to those who watch below. Today we are heading to Alabama on the next leg of our paranormal US road trip. But before we start, I'd like to say a huge thank you and give a massive shout out to those who dwell below. An exclusive channel membership that will get you shout outs at the start of every video. So thank you to Steffi Ray, Wicked Witch, Jess Black Curtain, Lisa Watts, Lefty Kim, and Christina Groves. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy. The House on Bradley Drive by Dantes0817 I was entering the sixth grade when my mother, our two dogs, and I moved to Montgomery, Alabama after going through a particularly brutal divorce from her third husband. The house she purchased wasn't huge or fancy. It was a small three-bedroom, one-bathroom built in the early 1800s. The walls were poured concrete, the doorknobs were crystal, and the floors were still the original hardwood. It had a good foundation and a lot of character in a quiet neighbourhood filled with elderly people. For a while, it seemed like the perfect place for us. We were so happy to have a fresh start and a house to call her home. So happy that when the previous homeowner came to get some old mail and refused to come inside the gate, we didn't even question it. The woman who sold us the home was in her late twenties at the time. She said she'd bought the house for her and her fiancé, who had tragically passed in a car accident. The owners before her, I believe, died in the house, but we were told from old age. Anyway, everything seemed to be going great for a while. I settled into school, and my mum settled into her new job. We both easily adapted and made new friends. I can't pinpoint exactly when everything started, mostly because I was trying too hard to convince myself it was only my eyes playing tricks on me, or I was simply tired or mistaken. Countless times I'd see a tiny little dog out of the corner of my eye, and would write it off thinking it was our Pomeranian or Chihuahua. The problem was, when I'd see the creature, our dogs weren't even in the same room. There's no telling how long I would have denied what I was seeing, if one night when it happened, my mother hadn't been in the same room. We were standing there in the dining room talking, when we both turned our heads at the same time, to look at the tiny dog-sized creature that ran past us into the living room. When she saw me turn my head too, she said, Oh my God, you saw it too! It had been happening to her the entire time as well. And guys, that's only the beginning of the creepiness. My aunt and uncle came to stay with us when passing through on their way to Florida to see a NASCAR race. They slept in the living room, where you guessed it, the creature made its appearance. But this time, crawled onto their air mattress while they were on it. But of course, when they went to find the dog, nothing was there. My uncle wrote it off, saying he thought it was a giant nutria rat, but he also said he'd never be staying at our house again. From here, things only escalated. At this time, I shared my bed with my mother, as we could only afford the one at the time, and a lot of our furniture had been lost in Katrina. Well, we're in bed, and we both feel one of the dogs jump in the bed with us. It's the middle of the night, and highly annoying to have little feet stepping all over your legs. My mum says, Ali, go get the dog and put it back in the kennel. The kennel was right by the bed, so it really wasn't a big task. I start to stir in order to grab for the pup, but he jumps down and retreats under the bed. 
I turn on the light and bend down so I can grab him and open the kennel door to put him in. And guys, this is the part that terrified me. I could still hear the thing under the bed, but it was not my dog, because my dog was in the kennel. They both were, and had been all night. So I scream and jump back on the bed. I'm terrified, and my mother is confused. She wants to know what's wrong, so I tell her, Mom, the dogs are in the cage. Now she's freaked out, but goes to look under the bed, and there's nothing there. Fast forward a week or two, and I'm doing my homework in the living room, when I hear my mother's voice frantically calling for me. I wasn't sure what to expect, but what happened next, I will never forget. I travel down the hall and into the bedroom where she was at, and am met by a glowing green orb, hovering near the doorway, where I was. So again I'm terrified and jump in the bed with her. I'm also very mad that she called me into the room with it. Meanwhile my brain is trying to make some logical explanation that was anything but supernatural for this glowing green monstrosity that was moving up and down, up and down, on the floor, on the walls, and the centre of the room. I look to the window hoping someone maybe was playing a joke, maybe there was a laser beam or something, anything but what was my reality. Then the orb vanished. It was over. A few more weeks passed and my mum has her friend come stay the night with us. We made her a pallet on the floor in the room we were also sleeping in. Everything was fine and we had a great movie night, but we were tired so we go to bed. My mum and I were both sound asleep when we heard my mum's friend screaming. I quickly jumped to turn on the lights and found myself looking at a traumatised house guest. She said someone had been sitting on top of her and tried to choke her, but there was no one there. She refused to come back after that. Now we were in this house for a few years. The only constant occurrence was the dog creature. Eventually I got my own room. I hadn't been sleeping in there long when I was awoken by my bed shaking and what seems to be a seven foot tall hooded figure standing there holding out its hand for me to take. I didn't and I was too terrified to move or even scream. This is probably the most terrified I've ever been in my life. I've been told it sounds like sleep paralysis, but I swear I was awake and there was something in my room that wanted me to come with it. I don't know what would have happened if I'd have taken that outstretched hand, but I don't think I'd be here today recounting these events. At this point, my mum had had enough of the thing in our house. We tried blessing all the rooms and even having a priest come over. We burned sage and tried cleansing rituals, but the thing never left. Eventually my mother listed the house for sale, and we planned on moving back to Mississippi. It took a year for the house on Bradley Drive to sell. During that time my mother had gotten a work friend to come by and check on it. This didn't last long. One night the work friend and her boyfriend came by the house, and apparently decided they were going to get romantic in the bedroom. Her boyfriend put her on the bed and went to take her shirt off. Well, during this, she caught sight of the seven-foot-tall demon blocking the doorway. The boyfriend turned and looked. He saw it too. She said it just felt like it wanted them out. And like all the other things, it just faded out after what felt like an eternity of them staring at it in horror. They too refused to come back inside the house. 
Since we moved, the house has been sold over and over and over. It was even foreclosed upon. I honestly wonder if the residents that followed us had the same problems. I drove past that house for the first time since we moved a few months back. I want to say it had been since 2006 since I'd seen it. It appears that there was a fire and the two-car garage in the backyard had completely burned down. I'd love to know what happened. I'd love to know what was in that house. But I guess I never will. Hell's Gate Bridge, Oxford, Alabama If you're making a trip to the public supermarket or the Home Depot at the Oxford Commons Shopping Centre, there are easier and safer ways to get there than by crossing Hell's Gate Bridge. Heck, if you didn't know to look for it, you'd likely never even see it. Even though it lies not half a mile away from Oxford Commons, the small, broken-down bridge sits tucked away in the woods at a creek crossing no one dares use anymore. To be fair, you couldn't even use it if you wanted to. It's been blocked at either end with cement blocks and chain-link fencing to prevent anyone from setting foot on it because it's literally falling apart. Hellsgate Bridge isn't its official name. It's not even clear whether it has an official name. Located on Boiling Springs Road in Oxford, it bridges the banks of the Chocoloco Creek. Or at least it did once. It's been disused for at least a decade due to its condition. A truss bridge. Hellsgate Bridge was built sometime around 1930. By 1992, however, it had decayed into poor condition, according to an inspection from January of that year. Its superstructure, meanwhile, dropped from poor to serious in November of 2000. It's unclear when the legend of Hellsgate Bridge originated, but it would have had to have been no earlier than the 1960s, the tale itself is set in the 1950s. Sometime during that decade, a pair of young lovers were driving across the bridge and were said to have careened off the structure, perishing in the waters of the Chocoloco Creek below. But although the lovers may have died, they haven't moved on. It's said that if you drive to the bridge at night, park your car in the middle of it and turn off all the vehicle's lights, you'll end up with an additional passenger in your back seat. You might not see them, or hear them, or even know they're there. But if you look closely later on, you'll notice that the seat will be wet, as if someone who had just emerged from the water below had taken a seat there. It's also said that if you stop on the bridge while driving and look behind you, you won't see the entrance to the bridge on Boiling Springs Road. You'll see the fiery gates of hell instead. There doesn't seem to be much of a connection between this tale and that of the two ill-fated lovers. But then again, maybe we just haven't put two and two together yet. Maybe that was why they lost control of their vehicle in the first place. Perhaps they glanced behind them and saw hell itself, receiving such a fright that they accidentally drove straight off the bridge. My Grandparents' Home Was Probably Haunted by Kibu Fox From shortly before I was born, until sometime in the mid-90s, my grandparents lived in a small town outside Selma, Alabama. The town they lived in was rather well known due to having several antebellum mansions in it. One such mansion was my grandparents' home. 
The property had been abandoned and largely forgotten by the time my grandparents purchased it in the 70s, and my father spent much of his free time restoring the home. I cannot say specifically how long, but I know that it had been empty for at least a decade at the time of purchase. It took my dad and grandfather several years of working on their own to restore the home, as well as adding some new modern fixtures and other upgrading. My grandmother, for her part, filled the home with various antiques, most of which dated around the period of the home. Due to its age, the home was on the historical register, and would later be turned into a bed and breakfast. Whatever the case, paranormal experiences seemed to happen weekly there, even during when my father was restoring the home. Some stories I remember offhand were his seeing something white sweep across the front hall one night while he was walking the property to check it before locking up. He passed it off as the wind catching a paint drop cloth, though he would admit reluctantly that there was no wind, and he hadn't started painting yet. My grandmother related hearing footsteps come halfway down the main staircase one day while she was on the hall phone, only to have those steps turn and go back up the stairs. Doors would randomly lock and unlock themselves. Various things kept getting moved around, or just went missing. And there was an overbearing sense of just being watched in the home, especially in one room on the corner at the top of the main staircase. That room at the top of the stairs was the centre of most of the activity, even though the last owner had died in another room. Personally, that room always bothered me. I always felt like something was watching me from it, something very angry that didn't want me there. Only if the door was closed could I walk past it. Otherwise I would go out of my way to simply avoid being near there. My half-brother related a story from around when I was born, when he was checking the property for my dad one afternoon. While walking around outside it, he stated he got the distinct feeling that he was being watched. Looking up at the darkened house, he saw the face of an old man staring back at him from a window. That window happened to be in the room which I had problems with. After the property sold, I spent a week at the bed and breakfast in 2000. I specifically told the owner to put me in any room other than the one at the top of the stairs, to which they stated that they had quit renting it out anyway. The door was permanently locked, from what they seemed to say. Apparently they had numerous people who, after renting that particular room, would simply check out and leave. None would give a reason for their sudden departure. While I stayed there, I spent most of my time visiting people who I had kind of grown up with. Though we had moved away when I was just a child, we did still go back on a regular basis, and saw some places in Selma where my father had worked, and only returned back to the house to sleep. One afternoon, maybe a day before I was to leave, as I sat down to dinner with the host and hostess, the conversation turned to my history with the home, and some of the strange experiences I had had there over the years. When the subject came to the room at the top of the stairs, and what my half-brother had personally witnessed, the host and hostess shared a look before the man cleared his throat. He said that what I had told them was on par with some of what they themselves had experienced, though they noted that they believed they knew why the disturbance had originated. During landscaping work in the rather large backyard, they were forced to cut down one of the ancient oak trees there, 
in the roots of the tree, they found the remains of an unmarked grave. This prompted further investigation, upon which they discovered no less than six unmarked graves there. The remains were disinterred and moved to a local cemetery, and while they wouldn't tell me much detail of what they found there, they did make it quite clear that it was their belief that the unknown cemetery was directly tied to the spirits that were in the room at the top of the stairs. As far as I know, the place is still very active. It is also a private residence now, so while you might have a general idea of where the home is, by no means should you contact the current owners. I haven't done so since 2000 myself, and I do not know if it's still a B&B or not. Even if it is, I doubt the owners would want it to become a ghost attraction. Our first home. My parents divorced when I was very young. I do remember after the divorce that they both lived in apartments in Middle Tennessee. Well, not long before I was to start kindergarten, my mum remarried to my stepdad and we moved to a small house in the middle of nowhere, Alabama. It was in a good school district and near my stepdad's family, who would be helping with my brand new little sister. This was actually a very exciting time for my other little sister and me. We finally had cousins, aunts and uncles, and grandparents we would get to see all the time, instead of travelling for the holidays to New England or Florida only once or twice a year. We didn't even care that they were all step-family. The cousins we saw most often were Brady and Micah. Their mum and our mum worked odd jobs to make ends meet, and helped each other out with childcare, while my stepdad worked as a truck driver, and Uncle Randy worked as an EMT driver. Our house was an odd setup. We lived in a little two-room house that actually sat almost right behind a large, old farmhouse that no one lived in. Whenever Brady and Micah would come to visit, we would always end up going through the house, and always wondered why it was still set up like a house, since no one lived there. The beds in the bedrooms were made. There were a couple of plates in the sink in the kitchen for the first few years. It was like someone just left for work one day, and never came home. After a day of playing in the house, I found a plate in the kitchen I thought was pretty. I knew we were going to visit my grandparents in Florida for the summer, and thought it would be a perfect gift for my Southern Belle plate-collecting grandmother. I took it back home, and Mum helped me clean it, and get it ready that evening before sending me off to bed. After Mum sent me to bed, she followed her nightly routine of smoking a cigarette, dumping the ashtray, sweeping off the porch before locking it, then watching the nightly news before going to bed herself. While she was in bed, she kept smelling a burning cigarette. She couldn't figure out why, and even got up to check the garbage to make sure her last one wasn't still lit. It wasn't. She's almost asleep, convinced that the smell is just stuck in her nose, when all the lights in her room turn on. She turns to get out of bed, and comes face to face with me, standing next to her bed, clutching my blanket, and crying. She asks me why I turned on all her lights. I just break down crying, and barely get the words out. I didn't turn on any of the lights, not even the ones in our room or in the living room. Caroline did it. I told her to stop and turn the lights back off, but she just laughed at me. Mum was very confused. Who is Caroline? I explained. Caroline is my friend I made. Normally she just turns on some lights at night, 
She didn't have lights in her house next door until she was six, like me, and likes to play with them. But when I tell her to stop and go home to sleep, she turns off the lights and walks away. But tonight she turned on all the lights, and when I told her to stop, she laughed at me and walked into our closet instead of going home. Now she doesn't want to leave, even though I want her to, and she made fun of me. My mum got out of bed and picked me up. As she was carrying me back to my room, she quickly discovered every light, every lamp, every ceiling light, even the pull chain lamp under the kitchen counter, was on. She took me to my room and laid me in bed, checked the closet just to make sure Caroline wasn't in there, and turned off the bedroom lights so my sisters wouldn't wake up. She went out into the hallway and reached for the light switch, but before she could even touch it, every light in the house went off. Mum was convinced we had lost power, so she hit the light switch to check, and the hall light came back on like normal. As odd as it was, she just went back to bed. As she laid in bed, the cigarette smell came back. She sat up, trying to remember if she smelled it, while dealing with me, or if she was just too preoccupied and freaked out to notice. While she was trying to remember, she heard the screen door to the back porch open and slam shut. Of course, she knew she had locked it before going to bed. She wasted no more time and picked up the phone and called Uncle Randy. For twelve minutes, my mum sat frozen in her bed, scared to move, listening for any other sign of an intruder or that any of the three of us had woken up. Then she heard a car pull up in the driveway, followed by Randy banging on the screen door and yelling her name. She ran to the kitchen, threw open the back door and turned on the back porch light, and immediately she saw it. Between her and Randy were about twenty burnt cigarette butts and cigarette ashes strewn across the floor she had just cleaned an hour before and a locked screen door. Hi guys, thank you so much for listening to today's video. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to leave a like and also subscribe to the channel if you haven't already, making sure you hit the notification bell so you know when the next video goes live. So, until next time, sleep tight. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.